Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161 DB194, Sports, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 304, December the 6th, 1993. This evening, Otto Scott, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushdooney, John Upton, and I will discuss sports. Now, the subject of sports is an interesting one. There is not as much written on it as there should be, although there are some uh, interesting histories. We too often uh, think of the subject in a purely modern term in a purely modern perspective. But sports over the centuries have varied very greatly from age to age and from culture to culture and from race to race. Sports have most of the time been very brutal. There was a time ostensibly when football was played with somebody's head who had just been killed and during the course of the game you might be killed yourself. The character of sports varied also over the centuries depending on who you were. We can think immediately of something still contemporary. Uh, fox hunts. These have been the privilege of the upper class tournaments and that sort of thing. The commoners were not even allowed the possession of a sword so that uh, certain types of activities that uh, were considered sporting were restricted to a class. Now, boxing for a while in England was the privilege of the nobility. The people who were paid to fight, bare knuckles fighting, fought for 60 or 100 rounds until one of them could no longer get up. It was exceedingly brutal. It was finally barred. When it revived, it was because the middle class entered into the area of sports. And the middle class in the Victorian era introduced a new concept into the world of sports. Fair play. And they turned the word sport from something that was almost synonymous with mayhem, murder, into something that... Uh, called for fair play. And boxing, as they revived it, although it was not the main center of their attention, had to be fought under rules, no hitting below the belt, none of the old-fashioned eye-gouging, biting off ears and that sort of thing that it once marked uh, boxing. The Victorian middle class, with its 
evangelical faith and its insistence on fair play changed sporting uh, events. It is uh, interesting that at the same time they were creating such institutions as the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They did not regard cruelty as sporting. And you have to remember that animals were used uh, also for sporting purposes prior to the entrance of the middle classes. You had dog fights. You had uh, bear baiting and a variety of things where animals were very brutally used as a part of what was supposedly a sporting event. Well, I think this is important for us to know. It was the Protestant middle class that created the idea of being a good sport and a fair play. Now, since the 50s, the end of the 50s, we've seen something develop that, uh, for example, Otto and I never knew when we were young. When two boys became angry, they would start fighting and everybody would form a circle around them until the fight ended. No one intervened unless I recall one occasion when one of the fighters was being grossly unfair, unsporting. And so they broke it up immediately and ticked him off, everybody shouting at him. But now it's dangerous to fight someone because his friends can pile up on you. At least one instance where I had a personal acquaintance, uh, they broke the boy's ankle by holding him and smashing on him with, on his ankle with their boots. So, with the decline of a strong Christian emphasis, sports have turned again into a growing brutality. With that general introduction, John, what kind of introduction would you like to make to the subject generally? Well, some people say that uh, sports is a metaphor for life, and in playing sports, I, I guess there's some merit to that, because sometimes you have to overcome fear if a 300-pound man lines up in front of you and it's your job to knock him down. You have to overcome your fear. You have to overcome fatigue when you're tired. It uh, helps you uh, use your, your mental faculties uh, because when you're tired, you start to get sloppy. It helps you deal with pressure because if you know that your team is going to lose, if you don't make a tackle then you're going to have uh, the added pressure of making that tackle. On the other hand, I don't. Uh, I used to think it was great that I could hit somebody so hard it would knock them out. And today, being 37, I don't think that's a very um, 
good quality anymore. <laughs> and uh, and finally, um, being a former football player, my son, who's eight years old and who's very who doesn't have a body like mine, he's very slender. He said, "Dad, I want to play football just like you did." And I and I said to Johnny, uh, "The only thing that I'd like to see you be, if you're a football player, is a punter, because it that's the least." Injury prone, prone position. So I'm really torn about sports. Uh, it it uh, sometimes it can teach you some things you can use later in life. But I think as men's faith declines, their interest in sports uh, accelerates because they become instead of participants, they be they become viewers. And that's what we've got today. We have a lot of people that are watching the metaphor of life rather than participating in it. And sports uh, encourages that. Otto? There seems to be a, a widespread feeling in the United States among the men that it's very manly to watch sports. And I've never been able to follow that. I don't see anything manly about sitting on your rump watching other men play. That's right. <laughs> and I don't see any connection between uh, an interest in sports and virility. Uh, I remember <clears throat> when I was a boy, of course, I, I wanted to play baseball very badly, but my eyes weren't good enough. Uh, by the time I knew where the ball was, it was past me. <laughs> but... <clears throat> Uh, I tried, and, and of course I played in Sandlot, pickup teams. We used to make our own team, and we were free in those days. We we made up our own ball team and our own everything, and there were no adults around, so we had a natural pecking order. There was nobody to stop us from having a fight if we wanted to have a fight, but as, as Rush points out, it was a fair fight. The, when I was about 12 or so, it suddenly dawned on me that the baseball players that I, I used to trade baseball cards and all the rest, that the baseball players were doing this for money. And I immediately lost interest. Absolute, total lost interest. I'll still watch the World Series, but uh, that's about all that remains of my interest in baseball. What Rush said, though, intrigued me on the whole question of others piling in. I hadn't thought about that, but I'd, I did become aware of the fact that or early on we knew that if a kid pulled a knife, that he was a coward. And that, uh, that it was a great sign of fear. You had, to be, you had to be careful of a coward. You had to be careful of a guy uh, making a fellow too, too afraid, because then he might do something dangerous. And that, of course, I learned later on when I was roaming, when I was on the bum, when I was riding boxcars and so forth. Uh, one of the things that saved me, uh, in a way, <coughs> in some very rough places and times, was the fact that uh, I had pretty good manners. And good manners had a way of holding danger at bay particularly with people who could get very, very angry on very, very small grounds, who were super sensitive to even the slightest implication, even the shadow of a shadow of an implication. They'd kill you. 
because their position in life was such that they had no respect from the community and therefore they were all practically like animals wandering around. But something that Rush said about piling on brought up the thought that what we're seeing now is racial violence and most of the racial violence is against white people. And this is one of the great secrets of the United States because nobody wants to talk about it. Douglas? I was going to ask Otto, did the Greeks consider the decathlon a sports? I believe they did. They were sports of a religious character. They had... uh, a relationship to the gods. It was an exaltation of things physical, of uh, bodily powers. And great attainment made you a hero uh, in any field. And a hero was uh, first leg up to being a god. So we have totally divorced the religious connotation of the word hero. But it had, and it comes from Greece, a thoroughly religious connotation. That was true for the Romans, too. Yes. The Roman games began with the funeral of, well, in commemoration of fallen warriors at the funeral of Junius Brutus about 500 B.C. The games were a religious exercise. And they were sacrificed. There were human sacrifices and when the gladiators fought or when they had thousands of captives fight in the arena, sometimes for days until they were all dead. It was a human sacrifice and it was a religious one. The religious sacrifice of human beings. The sacrifice began, first they killed them. Then the sacrifice began when there were too many to kill and they were told to kill each other. And to an extent, we see, what would you call it, distortions of this idea in the football field. Now, those fellows are sacrifices. Not very many of them stay healthy very long. I mean, they're they're turning out cripples. And there's very little sport left, as far as I can see, in the Victorian sense in the modern football game. This is a blood sport in which they're using people. Kids are injured before they even get out of high school. That's why Ford Schwartz, uh, friends of Cal Seton, who played football in his university days and loved it, feels that uh, it is a non-Christian sport because of the extent of injuries and the number of people he knows who are maimed for life, bedridden totally, or still young and he himself was in a wheelchair for a few years and is now uh, getting around quite well but he'll always be handicapped to a degree Mark well a couple things turned me off to, to being a sports when I was a kid I got very excited about sports I was a typical kid who was a sports fan I got upset if my team lost and as I got older, I decided that was an awful waste of energy, that I really couldn't enjoy sports 
if I was upset because my team lost, there was obviously no pleasure in the whole thing. And I just and I, I stopped. I eventually came to the conclusion that usually you end up a loser. Even if your team goes to the World Series and loses in seven games, you've lost. So virtually every sports fan in the country ends up a loser and frustrated. So I decided it was best not to get too excited about it. And I find so I still watch the World Series, and if the Giants happen to be in it, I've slowly weaned myself off of Los Angeles teams, so I I can root for the 49ers and the Giants. But if they lose in seven games in the World Series, it's big deal. It's too bad. Same thing with 49ers. I can pull for a team, but even often when I'm not pulling for a team. I can enjoy it more because if a team, if, if for instance, is a you know two or three touchdown underdog, I can pull for them. And I, I, I in some ways, you enjoy it more if you're not a, a, a fanatic. A second thing that turned me off to being overly interested in sports was every major city that has a sports franchise has a sports talk show, and the people who call into these shows, you see that they're consumed with sports. Yeah. Right? They it, don't have a life. It, they don't. Oh, a perfect example of it types, really. is when the, the Oakland Raiders moved to Los Angeles. That was about a decade ago, mm -hmm. I believe. There are still people who call into the San Francisco sports <laughs> talk stations and want to talk about the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. And that's it dominates their lives. It's our team. They're our team. And I tell a joke. <laughs> and it's, as long as you don't say ass. The, uh, <laughs> you said it. The uh, three fellows from San Diego went to heaven. And Peter said, well, heaven now, of course, has been, we, we've streamlined and we have IQ tests and things like that. So we find that if we put people of similar IQ together, they they strike up good friendships, and we we just do this to make it easy for everyone. As to the first man, he said, "What's your IQ?" And of course, the fellow on earth, and the fellow, of course, being in heaven, had to tell the truth and said it was 130. He said, "Well, that's fine. We've got some good businessmen over here. Be very happy with your company." And the next one was even higher, so he was sent to a philosophic group. The third one said 110. He said, hey, boy, how are the Padres doing? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the, the proposition of uh, new sport versus old sport? Uh, pick, for instance, uh, bullfighting seems to be a remnant of old sport where man is pitted against animal. And uh, today you have man against man very evenly matched. I mean, football players are scrutinized down to the pound and the how fast they can cover a uh, hundred yards, how many seconds. I mean, they're very, very evenly matched. I mean, they get down to you know motivation, uh, but physical size and speed and so forth is pretty well matched, and that seems to be the the uh, the axis of new sport. We don't have too many old sport left uh, other than bullfighting and uh, uh, man against beast I could never understand Hemingway's fascination with bullfighting I think it was in, in part an affectation perhaps I'm doing him an injustice 
Well, the Spaniards said everything that could be said about bullfighting through the years, and they, they of course, are the great writers, and most writers, uh, most people who read only English, we're really up against it. We don't know how much Hemingway took from the Spanish writers. Well, there is an aspect of sports that uh, I think needs to be mentioned. Coaches. Oh. They will sacrifice a boy or a young man for victory to enhance their particular uh, record. And I know that in high school and football, I sprained my am ankle so badly once that I couldn't stand on it. Coach taped it up so tightly that I couldn't feel anything and expected me to go back and play. And I refused. I wouldn't play until two weeks later when uh, taped up it was bearable. He never forgave me for that. And I despised him from there on out. And I began to notice how many others he did that to. Well, I've talked to a lot of uh, high school and college athletes since then who've told me that it only gets worse the higher up you are in sporting events. Mm -hmm. The coaches are monsters of a particular uh, variety. What would you say to that, John? Well, I had a... My brother um, ruined my senior year in high school because he beat up my football coach <laughs> in the summertime. And I uh, I worked th for three years very hard to train. To My goal was to be a high school All-American. And I had a shot at it, but you need your coach's help. And my brother, who's larger than I am and meaner than I am, <laughs> did not want to be abused by my coach, and my coach started to shove him. And my brother said, if you lift your hand one more time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you out. And the coach went to Sean McKenna. My brother knocked him out and broke <laughs> his nose. And that, uh, And all I could see was my coach walking in with a broken nose and looking at me. <laughs> and, and I just knew it was all over. And what this did to me. I was one of the best players on the team. I was the only player that got a scholarship to play football in college. He wouldn't start me. He would let one. He would let a player play start the game one play, and then he'd take him out and he'd put me in. So um, coaches can be barbarous, but if you want to see a real foretaste of hell, go to a uh, a soccer game where you have um, third graders playing. There you will see bar, uh, barbarous, these parents who, who don't have a life either or who are frustrated jocks, are yelling and screaming at these poor little second graders. I didn't start sports until I was in the fifth or sixth grade. Uh, these poor little kids have so much pressure on them. And they have these frustrated jocks you know, that are never made it that are their coaches yelling and screaming at them saying, you got to win, you got to win. And it's, it takes all the joy out of the game. It sounds to me as though they've destroyed childhood in one form or another. 
I had a little league. Uh, wasn't there an incident recently where a dispute at a playground at some little league game or Pop Warner game where somebody got shot? Oh, I can believe it. Uh, we we were free to play or not to play, and there were no adults around, and uh, we did lots of things which. Uh, as I look back on it, would be absolutely unbelievable today. We had BB gun wars at one point. Mm-hmm. We we had guns and we we fought BB gun wars. Uh, we played cowboys and Indians. I remember once we tied, we captured a fellow and tied him to a tree and then forgot about it. <laughs> and, and later on, they had a search party out, and not, we were all afraid to say where he was. <laughs> they finally found him. And he kept he kept quiet too. He was a good kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a similar experience with my high school football coach. He was so angry with me for refusing to play with an ankle I could hardly stand on that when I went back and was able to practice and play, he called off every last name except left tackle which I played and uh, he turned around and growled out my name under his breath so I really didn't hear he wanted to jump me but somebody nudged me and so I ran out Hmm. but he never treated me uh, fairly after that well, yeah, I think the fact that we're all much more animated right this moment about talking about sports kind of gives the importance of that sports can play in your life mm-hmm. if it's properly defined and, and applied, and, and if it's the you know the the right sense. If you don't go overboard with sports, mm-hmm. well, the sports changed for me when I stopped being interested in baseball. And after I left home, I got involved in different kinds of games. I got involved in poker, and uh, you might say head games, which were much more interesting, much more interesting. I mean, we never stopped playing games, really, uh, and it's always interesting. It's especially interesting, I think, if you're if you get if you become a writer, to watch the games that go on. And uh, I didn't read the book that psychologists wrote, Games People Play. But I thought the title was uh, was a valid one, because people do play games. Well, there's different cultural approaches to sports. Uh, you know, the, the approach that I got when I was a kid was from my father, who was, came from Canada and had the English influence. And, uh, you know, you'd hear all of these stories about when at any cost uh, in football and so forth. And, you know, I asked my dad about that, and and he recited to me, it matters not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. And there's there's a sense, by the time when you get through with the game, if your honor is intact, then you're a winner. And that was the bottom line as far as he was concerned. Well, it's interesting, too, and nobody has made a study of this, to my knowledge, the differences between countries in the sports that they enjoy. I was very taken by the fact, I don't know the explanation, and none was given in a history of sports that I read recently, that the English have always loved 
boxing. Perhaps in the last decade or so they've lost interest, but it used to be highly popular, but not in Scotland. Scotland produced one boxer of note in the last hundred or 150 years, and he did most of his boxing in England because Scotland didn't show much interest in boxing. Well, it used to be. Uh, we had good boxing here, I'd say, through the 20s <coughs> and part of the 30s. I don't regard it anymore at all. I don't. I don't pay any attention to it. Although I took boxing lessons at one point. The. I hate to say it, but I don't trust the box. I don't trust the game anymore. Uh, I don't think it's fair. It's. It's not honestly conducted. Let's put it that way. So therefore, there's not little point in watching it. And the ones that I have seen have not been very skillful. Well, your nose is well, still straight, Otto. So you must have been good at it. <coughs> There's a little, little, uh, little injury here. Went in a bit. There's another area of sports that we have not considered. There were varieties of games that were played some years ago, which perhaps still exist in certain places, but no longer are as important. For example, when I was in high school, whether you were at school or it was uh, summer vacation, uh, there usually would be a group of boys who in the evening went to the school grounds to play handball. And it was very popular. These have tended to disappear. They, they uh, lingered on. I think they seemed to leave with the 30s, didn't they? Because we, um, all, we, all played so. hand, we all played handball. Yes. So, so the school handball, uh, uh, handball courts usually were full in the evenings. That's right. And uh, uh, there was a great deal of uh, pleasure in playing it. And some were highly skilled. One of the casualties of crime. Yes, and really? now the more commercial sports. How how come a casualty of crime? What do you kids mean? are afraid. Uh, parents don't want to let their kids go out on the playground uh, in the evening, and oh, the kids oh, themselves yes. are terrified of it. Uh, Is that so? You sure. What happens? Well, there, just recently, a few days ago, they were filming some kind of a, a commercial, some kind in a in a in a park and there was a shooting and the one in the middle they're filming of, of, a, of a commercial yeah. they're not safe places to be that's where the derelicts the homeless hang out it's where the drug pushers hang out because there's parking there's open spaces for people to meet people parks that were full of mothers with children and young children playing games when I was a kid in San Francisco if you drive by them today they are deserted mm -hmm. except for perhaps occasional derelict or uh, homosexuals uh, meeting place uh, you don't see the people that were there 30, 40 years ago it's just totally changed you go down to Stockton down here and drive by the parks and the playgrounds and there's no kids there so the kids <coughs> the kids uh, I, I did notice some time back 
that no American child is without an adult guardian at all times. So they never have a free period in their whole life. Mm-hmm. Now what happens to, to uh, fellows who grow up who have never been free? At, in the, at the end of the war, uh, World War II, uh, I was walking down a dark street in France and every shop on both sides of the street, the windows had been shattered, except one, where they had boarded it up very carefully and cleverly so that the glass was still there. And not too far ahead of me was a single soldier walking. And he stopped and he looked around. He didn't see me. I was in dark clothes. And he kicked the window in. And I followed him into a bar, a small bar. And as it happens, there was nobody else in there except the bartender. And he ordered a drink. I sat down and ordered a drink. And uh, I began to chat with him. I asked him where he was from. He was from some little place, some little town somewhere. And uh, one of those little towns that had no nightlife and nothing to do. And I finally said, why did you kick the window in? And he got huffy about it, and I calmed him down. And he said, well, why not? And I've never forgotten it because he struck me as an individual who had never been free for one minute. And the minute he got free for just a couple of seconds on that street, he kicked in the window. Reverted to barbarianism. He didn't know what else to do. And it sounds... When, when I think of all these children in the United States growing up under supervision, don't do that, stop this, go over there, and so forth. You know, I look back on childhood, uh, you had a happy one, I had an unhappy one. I was, it was a miserable period. I was too small, I was under everyone's command, and there were an awful lot of commands. And my summers, when I was free, my grandparents in the semi-country was, was heaven because... I could go out and I had no supervision and I was all my, on my own. What are we turning out here? Well, this is one of the results of having a weak government. Uh, the rising crime rate is changing the way people behave. Uh, you no, know, it's true. We have a powerful state but a weak government. We have, well, the rising crime is always a weak government. Mm-hmm. And we, we only have a powerful state for those who feel like obeying it. Well, I, what I find interesting about sports is the NCAA. The NCAA tries to control every aspect of college mm-hmm. sports. And my hero in high school was one of the best athletes that I ever met. He got a full scholarship to USC. He started for USC for three years and intercepted a Joe Montana pass and um, I was shocked to see that after uh, returning to a reunion that he had become the janitor at our high school Mm -hmm. and the thing that's laughable about the NCAA is they impose these sanctions on these coaches because enough not enough athletes are graduating and the thing is, is that these athletes are bringing in a ton of money mm-hmm. to the universities. And it, it seems to me the universities should figure out some type of a program 
for athletes, some kind of a specialized trade that an athlete like my friend that ended up a janitor could use because what's a what's somebody like that going to do with a psychology degree mm-hmm. uh, if they if they fail in in professional sports like most of like ninety nine point nine percent of them do they have no recourse they don't have a skill and a uh, a college degree I don't consider as uh, much of a skill to someone who uh, uh, well, a few years ago, you may recall, John, they found that some uh, university graduates, football players, could not read. And they had gotten all the way through grade and high school and a university. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to <coughs> generalize because Jack Kemp was a football yes. player and the senator from New Jersey, Bradford, was a mm-hmm. football player. We've had... Uh, Gene Tunney was a very good businessman after he got through boxing. Boxing used to be more of a skill. Uh, it got, it, it went through an almost civil period where you tried not to kill the other guy, you tried to, to, uh, to make a clean fight. Uh, it's now totally black, with the exception of a few Hispanics. And I don't know whether white men are doing that well or not. It used to be a way up for poor white men who were uh, good fighters. There is one area of sports we have not considered where the sport is alive and well. And one such area is fishing. And... The number of uh, fishers, fly fishers, plug fishers, people who have uh, really perfected it is increasing. And it is a good area of sports, although a few environmentalists are now critical of even that area. But it has been, from the days of Isaac Walton to the present, uh, a highly regarded uh, form of sports, a solitary one usually, but nonetheless a form of sport. No longer a survival skill. Yes. Politically correct fishing is where you let the fish win by letting him go. Oh, I used to fish with a fellow who later became a priest, and he used to let the fish go, and I never was so angry at anybody. (laughs) 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 When I was a boy, I used to love to fish. Something environmentalists don't mention, and something I didn't realize until I read it a few years ago, none of the streams on the eastern side of the Sierra, which is now some of the prime trout fishing uh, waters in the west none had native trout in them none had any type of game fish in them except I believe one stream the rest were all put there in the last century by by sportsmen it was not easy in the last century to import fish and Mm. keep them alive to get Mm. them to the other side of the Sierras Mm. yes sportsmen have done a great deal uh, for game as well as for fish uh, which is something the environmentalists don't forget, uh, remember. They forget that these people are trying to perpetuate their sport. Just like 
Ducks Unlimited you know, they poured millions and millions of dollars into wetlands up in Canada and mm -hmm. along the Pacific Flyway to perpetuate the uh, game birds. Yes. Well, the sport of choice among yuppies that like to ride horses now is uh, instead of fox hunting, it's uh, wild boar hunting. And they imitate the English hunt, except that they don't go after a fox, they go after a, a boar. And I had lunch with a, a gentleman that works in Washington yesterday, um, and he told me that the most popular sport in Washington are, is destroying people's lives. Mm -hmm. And um, you have the example of Clinton's uh, uh, friend that killed himself. Foster. Yeah. Foster. And uh, he said that uh, it's hard to get good people to go there, to be mm -hmm. nominated to a post, a cabinet post, because those people will literally destroy you. Well, it's a graveyard of reputations, and it's been that way since the Civil War. The... In Caracas, the big thing was to kill a jaguar. Uh, they went in, they'd go into the jungles, and uh, the Indians would beat the jaguar to you. And the idea was to kill it with a spear. It was not sporting to kill it with a gun. And after you killed it with a spear, well, then you could skin it and put it up on your office wall. Well, the sport used to be where the, the animal had an edge. Yeah, well, the animal had a chance, at yeah. least, you know. Well, never in a bullfight does the bull have a chance. Yeah. I think that's a. Uh, I I just uh, I root for the bull. <laughs> they win sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do, and they do have a, they do have a chance. Uh -huh. Yes, they uh, do. Not, not the Portuguese method does not kill them, as I yes. understand. Yes, there are Portuguese-style bullfights down the valley, not too far below us. Hmm. Hmm. Very popular with the Hispanics in this area, mm -hmm. or down in the valley, that is. Well, there's a difference between team sports and individual sports. I think that um, the, the team sports, I guess, are used to teach kids to cooperate with the team. The individual sports, I guess, are supposed to help you um, hone individual skills. Um, I've always preferred the individual sports over the team sports. I wonder how law enforcement officials uh, feel about uh, uh, drugs coming into this country by the ton, and they spend a lot of resources down here in the valley chasing guys around that fight chickens. Well, they're sent on those, aren't they, by their uh, superiors? Makes them look. It must be to make them look good, or get get uh, column yeah. inches in the paper, or something that they're out doing something. The uh, the police. I hate to say this, but they're not notorious for their courage. They think they are, but they're not. Uh, nobody. None of the police have gone in after the gangs of L.A. To disarm them. They're not going to either. No, and they they don't strike me as as being very anxious to get hold of dangerous people. No, the, the, I think that people in this country have unrealistic expectations that law and order is ever going to be restored in in uh, urban areas. It's just not going to happen. The, the police have already shown that in. The L.A. riots. Well, they walked away on the L.A. riot. They refused to exactly. intervene. Then well, they were ordered. 
I don't care, they didn't intervene. And we have always said that a man shouldn't obey an unlawful order. Yeah, there were people getting killed and they're sworn to uh, to serve and protect and uh, they walked away from it. There were a lot of them that resigned. Uh, I mean, to their there were about 300, I think, to their credit that resigned because... They were ashamed of the they force. Were, yeah, they were ordered to withdraw. That's interesting. I didn't know that they had resigned. Yeah. They, were, they didn't get much uh, they didn't get space the press. in the newspaper, no. but uh, they, were, uh, they felt disgraced. They were disgraced. What a difference between that and Mr. Coolidge. When they had a Boston police strike, there was an outburst of crime. Mm-hmm. He said, no, no one has a right to strike against the public safety. He fired the ball, and they stay fired. Made him a hero. Mm-hmm. Reagan fired the uh, what was it? Controllers. The, the aircraft controllers, and he was uh, uh, con- criticized forever. Mm-hmm. Clinton wants to bring him back. <laughs> they probably don't remember how to climb the stairs to get into the tower. Yeah, if they can still make it up the stairs, been quite a while. Well, they lose their skills, but that's on the subject. Well, I bet all of us have a story. A sports story from childhood that we remember that we'll never forget. Mine is I was playing Little League Baseball. I was third base. We were ahead by one run. It was their last at bat. And all I had to do if the ball was hit to me was to scoop it up and touch my bag. The game was over. We'd win. And I was praying that the ball would be hit away from me. And wouldn't you know... This kid hit a ball. It landed right at my ankles. It went through my legs, <laughs> and they scored three runs. I lost the game for my buddies. I was crying, and I'll never forget that moment. Does anybody else have a, have a story like well, that? That never happened to any of us. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the world ended on that day. Well, we've all had situations like that, I'm sure. When I was a kid, uh, they'd always send me out to right field because I'd I'd choke up. You know, there'd be this great big soaring, you know, we'd play softball, and the softball would just seem to float through the air, you know, like a balloon coming down slowly. I mean, anybody should be able to catch it. And for some reason or other, my timing would be, timing would be off, and I you know, wouldn't bring my hands together and <laughs> drop to the ground. You know, and everybody would just throw their hands up in the air. <laughs> there are things. There was a pile driver that pulled up at a small pier in the river, the Hudson. My grandparents lived about 60 miles up the Hudson. And one of the boys climbed halfway up the pile driver. I don't know how high it was. He climbed to the middle of the platform and dove off, and everyone praised his courage. Oh, boy. Oh, is he good. So I climbed to the top, and I dove off. I had a headache for about three days (laughs) afterwards as a result, but when I came up, they all had their back turned. (laughs) (laughs) You were show off, huh? school baseball game I was in the outfield and I dropped a ball I really felt sick about that but it it made me realize something 
But uh, I was far-sighted. It took me a year or two before I figured it out, mainly because I went to a doctor when I went to college. But I was far-sighted, but uh, when I got close, you couldn't close see up. Uh, there, things got a little blurred. That was a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. That is uh, the thing about baseball that I respect. That also is uh, very horrifying if you make an error. You're there all by yourself. You can't blame anybody. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. Well, I, I always figured they just didn't make the gloves big enough. If I could just get a big enough glove, I'd never miss. They have made them bigger. They have made them bigger. <laughs> you look in a sporting goods store, they're, they're two hands quite large. Out in the air. Well, I remember the panic of in school of being picked, chosen last to play a game. Mm. You know, you'd line mm-hmm. up yes. and... Um, and if you were chosen last, and I was, I was heavy. I was fat when I was in grade school. And um, for the finesse sports, I'd always be picked last. Mm-hmm. But I could kick a ball a mile. So when we played kickball, everybody was my friend. Oh, John, John. <laughs> when on the finesse sports, they were fat, fatty, and we don't want a fatty. <laughs> but if it took power or something like that, so uh, that's when I. Uh, was happiest in school. What's happening now is that very young children begin training, and they train around the clock. So they become tumblers at the age of 13, mm-hmm. and ice skaters uh, when they're in their early teens. And I was taken to one of these sessions. A fellow, was, some friend of his, had a daughter who was training to be an ice skater and it was in a special building they had the glass they had the rink and had the music and a coach and hours and hours so sports have become professionalized in the United States and you mentioned this before most of the people are become watchers whereas when I was a boy we played we weren't watchers I don't recall ever taking my money if I when I got some money and buying a ticket to a ball game I played ball pick up but uh, and I played by the hour yes I just wonder how many of those uh, youngsters who are training whether it's their idea whether they really want to do it or whether they're trying to uh, buy the love of their parents no, I by think performing or by uh, realizing the unrealized expectations or goals of their parents? Well, I think it's a parental thing. I think the parents are trying to uh, make some money. Mm-hmm. And if you have a kid who is uh, physically adoptable and, and willing to go along and so forth, just as parents used to work to get a violinist or a pianist in the family, a musician, there's been an awful lot lost. Uh, the the there's a great deal of interest in sports, but there's not many players. You know that that idea of uh, starting a child when they're only you know, six, seven, eight years old started in the communist countries mm-hmm. to bring glory to the state. Mm-hmm. So the, the the parents were told 
you have an obligation to give us your child and, and th- they'll go to a special mm-hmm. school that's only for gym- gymnasts. Mm-hmm. And this is your child's chance to give glory to the state and advance them and get special privileges. Well, and we've know, adopted that. We have to an ex- great extent. Well, it's become a, a highly paid, a very few at the top of the pyramid, but those who do become rich. The Anne tells me that children ballet doesn't work at all until they're at least nine years old because they don't have the coordination. And if here you see all these women taking these tiny little tots into a ballet class, which is you know, fumbling around, and it's, it's ridiculous, of course, they're very cute. But the nine-year-old, uh, and you can tell fairly soon, you can tell within a few months uh, whether there's any promise, and of course there has to be an interest. But it's a form of slavery. It's a terrible uh, career because they don't pay. They work the hell out of them. The impresarios collect the money. They've never managed to do what the professional athlete has done and get into the business of the large sums. But there is less actual participation by the people in music, in sports, and in almost every area. Yeah, we have become watchers. Well, this this idea of um, the parents putting the pressure on the children. My wife, Suzanne, warned me against coaching a fourth-grade basketball team. She said, John, you're too intense to do it. Um, don't, don't do it. And I said, no, our daughter's going to play basketball, and I'll be her coach, and it'll be a joyous experience. Well, what I didn't know was is that the other coaches that had coached for a long time had a system of getting the best kids on their team. And their rationale was is that they're training their kids to get scholarships for basketball, even though they're in the fourth grade. And so they would surround the kids, their kids, with all these kids. There's like three coaches. So like a dummy, I was given two good players and six lousy players. And I just work with what I had, and we lost a lot of games. Well, what would happen is when these coaches, when I played as coaches, they'd run the score up. And my kids were becoming more and more demoralized because some wouldn't even show up to the game. So I said to one of these coaches, I said, look, um, why don't we just use running quarters? Because you have kids that are a foot taller than mine, and you have, for some reason, I have nine kids and you have 18 kids why don't we just use play half the game no we can't do that because I'm training for the playoffs and I and I said well I'll tell you what uh, I'm going to put my kids on the floor for one half because and I'll concede the game but I'm not going to torture these poor little fourth graders and have them demoralized you know at your expense and uh, and they didn't like that very much. So so one coach got pretty huffy, and I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you and I go outside with a basketball, and we'll play one-on-one and determine whoever wins our game, our team will win the game. He wouldn't want to do that. So it, it's the last year I coached, <laughs> but the, some of these people do not do not have a life. And I think the worst... The, the the worst uh, or the the least of the athletes become the worst of the coaches. If you're if you're a good athlete, if you proved what you needed to prove on the playing field, I think you could be a good coach. But if you're a frustrated athlete, I, I, you're the last person you should coach. Mm-hmm.
Well, our time is nearly up. Is there a last statement that any of you would like to make on the subject before we end the evening? I think we move from sports to business. From sports to the business of sports. Mm -hmm. And the business of sports has destroyed sport in the classic sense Mm -hmm. among us. I'm afraid you're right. And for those of us who used to enjoy, as I did, baseball so very much, I've become less and less interested. I read an interesting article this past year on how if you really want to enjoy baseball, go to the uh, Class B baseball semi-pro team in your area. Because there it is still played with zest and uh, a still, delight in the game. Still a game. Yes. You know, with all the professional athletes and you think of the, the, the um, people who train for years to get into the Olympics, the two, the, the athletes that gained some of the most attention in, I think it was the last Winter Olympic Games, one was a... I forget his name. It was an amateur from uh, Great Britain that did the the high jump on the ski jump. That he was he was he was awful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he made the Olympic team because I don't I don't know what the conditions were, but the, nobody from his country was going to the Olympics. So he he managed to get on the team, and he was in the Olympics, and he became something of a, a folk hero for it. And the other team that they since made, I believe, a a movie about is the Jamaican bobsled team (laughs) who had to practice with a bobsled on wheels. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening, and God bless you all. Good night. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.